I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to the club, Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, we've got a thorough assessment of a thrilling London derby at Wembley and the immediate impact made by Claudio Ranieri as his new team overcame the footballing might of Southampton. Liverpool and Arsenal get gritty. Manchester City bring home the bacon as they roll over West Ham and Huddersfield surprise everyone in the audio recording facility and the world. Plus, will the Copa Libertadores final ever happen? Is Alan Hutton the new Cafu and the much-anticipated return of the mystery player game? Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by the hero of football news. It's Matt Law. How are you, Matt? I've got an apology to make. Oh, I forgot to watch Match of the Day 2. Oh, dear. Therefore, I have no idea what happened with uh, Arsenal, Bournemouth or Huddersfield Wolves, which is unprofessional. Well, what an exciting podcast for you. You're going to find out what happened I'm going to find out, yeah. in the 45 minutes that but follows this. I would also... tell him. Because <laughs> it won't be us. <laughs> it won't be you, Mina Do you not have a lot to say about Arsenal, Bournemouth and Huddersfield versus Wolves? Oh, I have a lot to say about oh, Huddersfield. Good, good. So that's okay. good. Okay, we'll get to it. How are you, Mina? I'm good, thank you. How are you guys? Yeah, I'm good. Are you, are you refreshed? Yeah, we did miss you. Jason Burt was a good replacement, but it was a different feel. Wasn't. Yes. Not enough uh, arguing, I take it. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's far too amenable to agreeing with people. And it's an AFC Telegraph debut for Charlie Eccleshare. How are you, Charlie? I'm good. How are you? I'm feeling pretty positive, thank you. Yeah, I mean, uh, my my mood is largely dictated by how QPR and the Minnesota Vikings did at the weekend. It was uh, one draw and one win in that order, so uh, I'm feeling feeling pretty good. Should we start with Spurs versus Chelsea? No. Oh, <laughs> Matt. Did you not Villa. watch that one? Villa. I will get to Villa. <laughs> Don't this, worry. this show is dedicated to Alan Hutton, a Scottish cafe. Yeah, that's, now uh, you can carry Scottish on. Scottish <laughs> Let us actually start with Spurs versus Chelsea. Brilliant match. Fairly easy win for Spurs. Was it Spurs being good or was it Chelsea being bad or was it a bit of both? It was, I'm going to put this down to Spurs being good and Pochettino being good because they they beat Chelsea up. Um, Pochettino got his team selection and tactics just spot on. I mean, we saw the the team sheet an hour before kickoff and there's a bit of surprise actually. A lot of us expected Lamella to play. We thought Vertonghen would be brought straight back in. Um, A lot of people thought Winks would play. And what he actually did in in this team selection with uh, putting in Son instead of Lamella, having Ali on Jorginho, it just worked amazingly. They started the game incredibly. First 20 minutes, they just swarmed all over them. And Chelsea just couldn't recover from it. So I'm going to, as bad as Chelsea were, and they were shockingly bad, I actually think a lot of it was down to result of what, what Tottenham did. So I think Tottenham get the credit. 
yeah. it, it did look to me like it was Chelsea's worst performance of the season so far. Did Sarri get it wrong, did you think, Mina? Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely think that Pochettino did his homework. He knew the kind of weaknesses that they possess, which is a little bit defensive organisation. The thing we've always, I've always had an issue with, Mauricio Sarri, are two things. One, it takes him a while to figure out how to produce balance on his side. Um, and two, he's quite stubborn with his philosophy. And that really bothers me because I think the beauty of an Italian coach, if you do decide to bring one in, is that he usually can tweak and change and, and introduce personnel or change a formation to morph and, and change according to the opponent to neutralize the threat. But I don't think that uh, Chelsea can really manage that under him. I think they're very dead set on their philosophy. And, and that's really epitomized by the fact that um, Kante is playing that position of a midfielder when you just think you're taking away the beauty of his of his defensive work. And that is really essentially he's the best of the world do, in it. Do you think he'll reassess that now? It wasn't a great day for Kante, was it? It doesn't feel like he will. I don't think he will. This no. is where I think he's really stubborn about stuff. And I and also even at Napoli, it took, for me, more than maybe coming up to two years for him him to find balance in the transitions and Tottenham knew how to do that you know they figured with pace just shock them make sure that they don't get back into position quickly and they didn't and Jorginho is just not that kind of guy who's going to be able to hold it all together and again what he's doing is basically relying on my always issue with Manchester City is the fact that they have Fernandinho and not much more but they have Jorginho now and not much more. It was so weird because we all predicted last week um, or Jason not me but we all predicted last week that what Pochettino would do. We didn't know it would be Ali necessarily, but we all predicted that they would go hard on Jorginho because it worked for Everton. And I'd have just thought it had been so easy for Sari to actually try and surprise Tottenham and move Kante and do something a bit different, realising what, what Tottenham were probably going to do. And I actually thought it was really naive of him the way he went into the game, really bad. Well, it's interesting... Hearing me and you talk about the tactical inflexibility and then Matt talking about naivety because it reminded me Chelsea performance of a kind of late Arsene Wenger Arsenal in a big game. I mean, and there is no bigger insult than that. I mean, honestly, <laughs> the way the way Chelsea started, it looked like they were sort of they'd been asleep until an hour before the game. They were so off the pace. Mm. And and Tottenham, you know, the contrast, they were so at them from about after about ten minutes, you watch them, you're like, Spurs are going to win this really, really easily, having gone into it thinking this should be a really close game. And so I don't know if that's a question of motivation as well as tactics, because the intensity from Chelsea was just entirely absent, certainly in the first half and pretty much all game. But also, why not just try like a three-man backline if you do really want to play David Luiz? Why, why not just allow yourself tweaks or, or have a team that's able to change according to the opponent listen I can understand to a certain level why he's stubborn because what is this his first defeat in like 19 games mm. so you just think okay well it's worked up until now he didn't expect it to he thought he was going to suffer a lot more despite the fact that performances have dropped off he still thinks that he was confident enough in the in the technique of his players and in their in- intellect to be able to withstand this pressure I don't know if this is going to make him think hmm maybe I should change something but if it didn't make him change anything in Napoli and he stayed with the same num- you know, number of players, the same players all the time. He's just not that flexible, and I hope he changes. What about David Luiz? It was like he <laughs> regressed sort of four or five years with this performance. Well, I don't know. He's, he's, he's not like your favourite, is he, Matt? No, he's not, he's not my favourite. Um, he will always let you down. Yeah. Always let you down. And he's, been like, he's actually been pretty much like this all season. He's just got away with it. He's, he's been pretty headless all season. I don't think this was... A massive regression. I think he just got found out finally. I mean, that 
attempted challenge on Son yeah. was an embarrassment, you know, <laughs> a kind of air shot as he charged straight across him and back out of picture from the camera. It was the weirdest attempted I, challenge. I was delighted to see that, not just because I'm a QPR fan, but because I'm always willing on Son. He's a player who mm. I just want to see do well always, and I was really, really happy to see him score that goal. Which Premier League player do you always find yourself uh, willing on uh, for no real reason? One matter, I think. I mean, I, I know that's probably an obvious one, but he's just so likeable. And I think it to, for that kind of player, for other fans to like them, I think they need to have had some rejection or not be like an out-and-out out winner. You know, I think we need to be rooting for them. And so he uh, mattered me. Louise as well, actually, I quite like. I think I'm a sort of... Uh, I, I know... <laughs> I know that's a quite an unpopular opinion, but I think he... Uh, it's not actually. Chelsea fans love him. Yeah. Well, Do I, they? Yeah, Chelsea fans love him. I just think... I find him very... I think he's a really, really gifted player. Like, he can ping passes off either foot, and I think he's quite unusual um, as a kind of Premier League centre-back for that. I do accept that defensively. I mean, that, that tackle just on that reminded me of kind of under-14s rugby when you've got a really big guy running at you and you want to get out of the way, but you don't want to make it too obvious. You're like, right, I'm just going to... See ya. Just kind of just usher, usher you coffee. through. Yeah, I mean, Louise, he looked like he was going off to the corner flag. It was. Did you see when he moved out of the way? I thought that was. Did you see Rio Ferdinand was talking about this in, uh, on, on Sky? And he was just basically explaining that when he moved out of the way um, for the second goal, I don't yeah, remember. Harry Kane's yeah, goal. Yeah. And he was saying, oh, he probably just thinks that the, the goalkeeper will get that. Well, it's interesting on that as well, because by coincidence, I'd watched a couple of days before Gary Neville's soccer box program. I've even seen that, which I, I really, really like. He watches old games with old players and he was saying that Schmeichel always told the defenders not to make deflections like that that he oh. the keeper would say I back myself to catch, to it. catch it as long as there's not a deflection that may be giving Louise way too much credit yeah, that's that, what that, I was, was that, was, that, that was done deliberately but just like it's possible it was that, straight. that wasn't just an aptitude. What what Caper did was weird. It was really strange to see a goalkeeper that rooted in that sort of situation. It completely caught him out. It completely caught Kepa out um you assume there was a deflection, I think, on, or I did on first viewing, because it was strange. Yeah, right, I thought there was. Com- yeah. Completely wrong-footed. Mm. Not a good day for Chelsea. On the other side of West London, Claudio Ranieri getting off to a winning start for Fulham against uh, Southampton. Fulham, some very pretty build-up play, but pretty lucky to win this match. Yeah, they were lucky. They didn't... They- he hasn't solved any of their defensive issues yet, has there? Not yet. I mean, J- JJ, if he was here, would hate this because I had sympathy with Mark Hughes at the end. When, I mean, Hughes pointed out that they, apart from the scoreline, they actually they beat Chelsea, in, and not Chelsea, Fulham, in every area. And the stats did back that up. They had more shots, more shots on target. They, they, won, the, they won the all-important XG battle. Did they? Mm. Um, <laughs> which is huge. They're probably top of the league in XG. Um, but, uh, so they obviously played quite well. Um but their defence let them down. But it was just one of those days for Ranier where he just needed the win. He needed a Mitrovic goal, which he got. He got the place bouncing. Everyone's behind him. It gives them some momentum. But I think he will realise that were they to play like that most weeks, they'll actually keep losing a lot of games. They're going to have to improve a lot. I I actually was really quite surprised by this because, you know, obviously we, we know him as being a guy who comes in and knows how to shore a defence. And what's interesting is that when he was in the French League, um, he was with Nantes what, last year. And it was 
such a defensive team that Neymar had requested not to play the game because he just couldn't be bothered to like have to come up against the bullies. People say the French league isn't yeah. serious. <laughs> and obviously he managed to sit it down and watch it with the president, you know, I mean some people. But point is is that that's what you expect. What I was didn't expect was for Fulham to be that much better in attacking sense. So I know they were lucky, I guess, you know, because of obviously they lack a, somewhat a lot of balance, but all the passes were that much quicker. Everything just ran that easy, that much easier. You could see that there was. It was almost like he elevated the intellect of their attacking play and made it made it easier. It was quick passes. He allowed Mitrovic to take center stage. He exploited Cessignon and, and Mitrovic's abilities. And I thought that's actually really great for Ranieri because I would have thought if anything he would have just made it a lot more cautious and slowed down the game and tried to win it against Southampton, who aren't a great side. But I thought. On that level, on an attacking level, he really elevated them. Well, it's possible, isn't it? So, just I mean, with it coming in after an international break, it's possible that he didn't even have that much time. Yeah. It, it might just probably a couple of days. Yeah, exactly. So, it might be that it, it takes a while before we really see, kind of, if, if that was more by accident than design, the kind of it, what looked like quite a cavalier. Yeah. They were quite direct, the weren't they? Yeah. He mm. was quite direct at Leicester, though. I mean, they're all about counter-attack and balls down the channel for Vardy, mm. whereas uh, Lord Slavisa would have them passing it all over the place. So I think we can expect a more direct Fulham now. How's he regarded in Italy, Ranieri, Nina? Um, well, back in the day, he was regarded as always the bridesmaid, never the bride. You know, the kind of guy that you bring in you know, brings in organisation. It's just a nice guy. It always seems to go wrong for him in the second or third season, to be honest. People start, like, questioning his tactics or questioning how defensive he can be or just boring, I guess. He doesn't take as many risks as you want from a winning coach. Was he given a bit of a sort of heroic elevation yes. when, after what happened with Leicester? After Leicester, people started to be like, wait, hold on a second, <laughs> you know, like, as in this guy wanted over some of the greats that there are in the Premier League. We know it's supposed to be the most competitive league and to do it with a bunch of players that nobody had even looked at or rated before it was like wait a second maybe he's something interesting and he was up for the Italian national team job and all of a sudden Ranieri was something he's still not never going to be looked upon in the way that uh, Carlo Ancelotti or Massimiliano Allegri or even perhaps even Antonio Conte will be Um, but he's very much loved, not necessarily seen as a ruthless Italian coach. More of a cult hero, perhaps. Mm. He did call Mitrovic one of the best goal scorers in Europe <laughs> afterwards. Uh, Charlie, are, are you having that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that felt like a manager being really excited and getting carried away. It's more the sort of thing a fan might say on, on the walk home. He's pretty key to, to their yeah. chances. No, no, no. I mean, he if they had to stay up, he will need to score. And I think that is why they may well end up staying up, because he is probably a cut above you know, the striker of a lot of their rivals. He's younger as well. than he th- I mean, he's 24, I think. Um, but he feels like he's been around for a good few years now in the, in the Premier League, obviously at Newcastle before. Um, but he's good. He's not that bad. I mean, he- no, no, no. He's, I mean, he's, yeah, he's a good Premier League striker. He's not one of the best in Europe. Oh, no, obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We'll do that top 50 at the end of the show. Uh, what about Mark Hughes at this point? Matt, I know you said you felt sorry for him, but um, three wins in 21 in charge at Southampton. Not looking great for him, is it? They must be tempted to make a change. They must be, but who makes a decision? They sacked Les Reed. Um, no one really knows who's now sort of in charge of Southampton to say, OK, Mark Hughes is sacked and this is the guy we want to bring in. It's also actually very hard to identify someone you'd think would be a, a good replacement for Hughes. You just Hughes is as Allardyce as Southampton were ever going to get. They're not going to go full Allardyce, I don't think. <laughs> 
And Moyes just seems a very similar type of appointment to Hughes. So I think that's their biggest issue. I mean, they'll be tempted because obviously they'll have now seen that Fulham have had a bounce and it tends to be the fact that once one guy gets sacked, there's a, there's a little mm. follow-on effect around the clubs around the bottom. Um, I mean, he kept them up last season. I know it wasn't great, but he kept them up. I, I would give him... I would certainly give him another month or so myself and, and hope that he can get a few results, but he's he's really bang up against it now. I think the squad deserve better than, than what's going on. As in, I don't think they're such bad players and I think there is a lot of talent there, but they, be, they make such basic mistakes that I can't help but think it's his training. Who would you replace him with? That's the only issue. Yeah, you're Well, right. in, unless they go a bit braver, but they've done that before and obviously... Pellegrino didn't really work out. Yeah. I mean, Claude Puel, they finished eighth under him yeah, and got looking, to a League Cup final. Yeah. Mm. That's it's a really like, good yeah. season, isn't it? I mean, that, that feels like a one they must be regretting. But yeah, I don't know if they're sort of scared of going for someone more expansive and then you get stuck in this rut of playing it safe and you bring in a Hughes or an Allardyce or a Moyes or you know one of the same. I would names. go for Wagner. Yeah. Because he has experience of keeping a team up and yet... He feels like he's got a bit more to him if he had a, a bit more resources than, than Huddersfield. I would go for Wagner. Well, I, I, I don't realistic. think the job he's done has got enough credit. I mean, he's that, done an amazing that job. Huddersfield team, you look at it, not only for them to stay up last season was a miracle, really. Mm. And then this season, again, they're, they look like they could stay up. Yeah. You know, they're not yeah, doomed they, by they, any they, means. They've been written off in some places yeah. already, uh, certainly in the audio recording facility at times. <laughs> uh, how do they get past Wolves at the weekend? Much fancied Wolves. Yeah, well, they won the midfield battle. I mean, they had three of them in there. Uh, Billing and Moy in particular were outstanding. Um, they just swamped Neves and Moutinho. And I think in the same way with, with Chelsea, we've seen, you know, stop Jorginho, stop them playing. Wolves, clearly, if you can get the better of Moutinho and Neves, who are two outstanding players, you've got half a chance. Um, Neves was awful. Yeah, he, he just, his touch wasn't there and his passing... And they're trying to bring him to Juventus. And I'm like, well, not if that performance, please, you know. <laughs> it was weird because Wolves were so good against Arsenal in the last game. I mean, they really should have won that game. But actually, they're now in a run of three losses from four. So maybe it wasn't such a surprise. But certainly, I went into that thinking Wolves would win that quite comfortably. I thought that was interesting. I've always said, like, I know we, I, I talk a lot about defences and uh, how bad that they can be. But what I've really loved about Huddersfield is I thought that they actually attack really well. Um, their attack is smart. They're not exactly the most efficient side. But I thought that they were so unlucky in so many matches, you know, especially there was that match, do you remember, with Liverpool? Yeah, and, and they hit the post a couple yeah. of times, yeah. And Klopp afterwards said, you know, well, you know, we didn't play our best and we got the result. And Wagner just comes out going, we, again, we did well and again, we get nothing, you know. And you just felt for him because on this occasion, you're like, finally, you got what you deserve. But they were that bit better, you know, than, than usual. They were a lot more precise, even though Wagner refuses to admit that this is perhaps their best performance of the season. But I just love a team that have a player like Hogg, who's just so willing to do everything that needs to be done to unleash the players around him to, you know, to, to show off their talent. He just does all the dirty work, constantly wins back possession, throws it, you know, distributes. It was just, it was a very good performance from them. And I do think that they deserve to win a lot more than they have done. Well, they're a team, I mean, you look, talking about Mitrovic, if they had a striker like Precisely. him, you know, Precisely. you think they wouldn't necessarily be in this battle. The problem is they... They just take so few of their chances. And it's a shame because they create so many. Mm. So, yeah, absolutely. Elsewhere in the Premier League, Manchester City cruising for the vast majority of their game as they tend to at the moment. They seem to be playing the whole match against West Ham in first gear, really. It makes it all 
not particularly exciting to watch. I wonder how you manage that as Pep Guardiola. How can you instruct a team that often finds themselves three goals up before half-time and, and keep them motivated? It's frightening, isn't it? They only had to play 20 really good minutes against West Ham. I mean, they were 2-0 up in 20 minutes and the game was over. And in actual fact, from watching the highlights... They didn't play brilliantly. They conceded an awful lot of chances um, and they seem to switch off a little bit, but they're so much better than the vast majority of the Premier League that 20 good minutes from Man City is probably enough to win a game. Um, I'm starting to think that they'll go undefeated. I really am. I only think that probably Liverpool games are the ones that you'd look out for for where they might lose a game. I just can't see them tripping up and I can't even see them a surprise happening with them. They're just so much better and they've got so many options... I really do think they could could be the invincible. Is, is there not a danger of complacency that they're, that they're at this yeah. sort of lower level for so long that there is a game that takes them by surprise against the Huddersfield or someone? There maybe is, but you just don't Wolves. see it coming at the moment. Yeah, and also I think with Guardiola, if kind of seeing him interviewed in the documentary is anything to go by, I mean, his kind of manic energy, you know, the stuff that guy worries about, I just can't see him allowing the players to get complacent. And I think as well that shows how he keeps motivating them to to want to improve. You know, I imagine at half-time of that 3-0 game, uh, sorry, 3-0 at half-time against West Ham, he would have been ranting and raving at the players that they'd done this little thing wrong or, you know, whatever it is. So, I mean, and he's, he's gone close before Guardiola. He lost one game in 0910, I think it was, at Barca. But, I mean, it is a huge ask to do that. It is a huge season. ask. And we've, we've predicted it with teams who have been going along amazingly until Christmas before, but... I just can't. You can't see how they're going to lose a game apart from maybe against Liverpool. Just, I mean, they play Chelsea in a couple of weeks. Could be Spurs if Spurs continue like this. They they weren't quite comfortable. I mean, I know they need to lose. They've been to Wembley, Wembley. Emirates, and Anfield, haven't they? That's right. I mean, they play Chelsea in a couple of weeks. At the moment, you'd just see them steamrolling Chelsea. I just like they did last season at Stamford Bridge. You just don't see see it coming. Not so easy at the moment on the other side of Manchester, where United drew nil all at home with Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace. How does Jose Mourinho turn that roster of attacking talent into not being able to score at home to Palace, Charlie? (laughs) Well, I think there was frustration from United supporters that Lukaku came back in. Um, He hasn't scored since September. I think he's only got four for United all season. Um, And it, I mean, it was a low bar, but they had actually been looking a little more fluid uh, the last few weeks with Sanchez playing uh, up top, um, you know, a bit more of a mobile front three. I mean, they look so short of ideas. He looks like he's more or less just doing the same thing he's been doing for the last few years. And then as soon as the going gets tough, it's like, right, get Fellaini on, pump balls into the box. And if you're a team like Palace, you've got big centre-backs who can deal with those sort of balls. I think it would have it would have felt like such a victory almost that he's I, resorting to that. I think you're doing them a favour, though, by kind of saying, uh, how did they not score in that game? Because in actual fact, from the highlights I saw... Palace had better yeah. chances. I mean, when Townsend went through near the end. So it didn't look like a case of United pummeling Palace and not being able to score at all. It looked like them actually being almost fortunate to, to get away with a draw. And that's, um, been, that's happened a number of times this season. And, you know, it's on the back of Mourinho saying by the turn of the year we'll be in the top four. I just, you know, that just seems so far off at the moment. Um, every time you think they've made a little step forward. You know, they had that little run where they were coming back in games and they came back against Newcastle and went on a little, a good little run and they came back against Bournemouth. They start to look as though they make a step forwards and then they just keep falling back into their boring old stuttering routine. 
He says something stupid like he did before the weekend when he picked out Martial, Rashford, Shaw and one of the other young players where he seemed to have a go at them. Oh, uh, Lingard it was. Lingard. And you think, why are you doing that? Why are you setting such a negative tone the whole time? And then the negative tone transcends itself onto the pitch. They're just stuck in this kind of cycle of kind of mediocrity and anger and you just don't see it finishing it, before the end it of the does season. feel like watching I mean I'm not a close personal friend of Jose Mourinho or Manchester United it's like watching a friend in an unhappy relationship isn't yeah, it? It, is. <laughs> it, it is get it out but it's embarrassing to think that this is the side that defeated Juventus sorry I mean in the Champions League for me watching that I was like I can't believe and, and again it's that you know let's bring on Marouane Fellini like this guy's going to resolve every issue and he did a lot of the times to be honest to be fair to him you know but I, this is it is indeed that when you think of a side that are so lacking in tactical innovation and excitement even when Crystal Palace had chances it was like they were just running through the pitch at full speed full pelt with nobody even trying to stop them in their tracks and it just seems like there are days when the players feel like they're up for a challenge and there are days where they just can't be bothered and that is dependent on And now, you know, you read that De Gea, De Gea might go. I mean, that would be huge for them. I mean, you, you can't really see why there's any incentive at the moment for De Gea to stay unless you just think, I'll actually, I'll see it out and, and see when Mourinho gets sacked and who comes in. But if, if they were to lose De Gea because basically Mourinho's turned them into this boring side that don't really look as though they can challenge... I mean, that would be such a loss for them. Well, I was, I was thinking that. I mean, like De Gea, obviously so nearly left a few years ago. I think he's been their player of the year, like four Three out times, of the last yeah. five years. Something mm. crazy. A goalkeeper, a top-level team. Like, <laughs> where would they be if that fax yeah. had worked? Honestly, I mean, he, he's kept them in so many games. And even in those games that they won, the Newcastle, the Bournemouth, the Juve, they were outplayed for long stretches. And they're basically at the moment either playing badly and winning or playing badly and not winning. If I went into negotiations with De Gea, if I was Ed Woodward, let's pretend I'm Ed Woodward now, <laughs> um, I would literally say to him, uh, if we sack Mourinho, will you sign a new contract? And if he said yes, I would sack Mourinho. There and then. You know, he's under a lot of pressure from the Spanish national team. They, they, mm. A lot of them are saying that he's not really at the level that they want from their goalkeeper. Yeah, a terrible World Cup, didn't he? Didn't make a save and... And I, I wonder whether he's just so unhappy where he is right now that it's just spilling over and all his work. But he is also being uh, linked to my club. You'd take him, surely. <laughs> yeah, over Chesney. Yeah. <laughs> Chesney goes United in a <laughs> exchange. I'll sell my kidneys for that. <laughs> uh, Liverpool still keeping pace with Manchester City. Another gritty win for them with 10 men uh, against what for the team you would have expected to give them a test. Where, where do we see the slip coming for Liverpool? Uh, the fixture list for them, home to Everton, away at Bournemouth, away at Burnley and then Manchester United at home. Do we think they're cruising through those four? Yes. Um, I think if, if you're a neutral and you want a competitive Premier League, you have to get behind Liverpool a little bit because... They are the only hope of making it competitive. And as I just said, the only hope I, I see of someone beating Man City. Um, I thought it was interesting the weekend because City did it the other way around. You know, the first brilliant 20 minutes, game one. Liverpool actually, for the best part of an hour, looked as though they're fairly average and looked as though they're heading for a draw. But as soon as they scored that goal, boom, game over and go and run away with it. Um, they're impressive. They're really impressive the way they're keeping up with trying to keep up with Man City at the moment and there's a lot of pressure on them because it's become a league now with the way City are even if you draw a game it's a really bad result you're going to lose ground which puts so much pressure onto them and they're dealing with it really well so all power to them I mean 
I am neutral. I have nothing against Man City. If they win the league, great. But I am sort of getting behind Liverpool because I just want them to hang in there and make it a real race. Elsewhere in gritty competence in the Premier League this weekend, another win for Arsenal at Bournemouth. They still haven't led at half-time in the league this season, Charlie. Is that a concern? Yeah, it is a big concern. And why is it? So just to interrupt, why? I don't get yeah. why that's a concern. Because there'll be games where they can't keep turning it round. Uh, like, you know, against Wolves, for instance, they left themselves with too much to do. Uh, against Palace, because you know, they've dropped quite a few points. You know, they, dropped, they drew three league games in a row. And a lot of that is because they keep... You know, it's one thing occasionally rousing yourself mm. for these big second half performances, but to do it every game is a lot. And also, you might be able to salvage a point, but in games like Wolves and Palace, you really want to be winning those games if, if you want to be finishing top You've four. You've convinced me. <laughs> it just doesn't feel a very, very sustainable model. Um, and they did; they got away with it um, yesterday. Deservedly so, I think. You know, I think they hell of an own goal as well. Oh, I mean, what, if, what yeah. an own goal by yeah. the Edge way. of the area. I almost, I almost <laughs> was like looking for the Bournemouth fans to applaud it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on! I sort of was like, wow, and then realised it was an own goal. I was like, oh no! <laughs> what a finish! Um, yeah, I mean, the, the way they play the second halves is really impressive, and you do wonder what Emery's doing so well in halftime team talks that doesn't really seem to be happening in the pre-game ones I mean I will say as well it's not uncommon that games open up in the second half especially mm. when you've got a side that's doing mostly attacking one that's defending so it's not a freakish occurrence so that should happen you know from time to time I think the fact that it happens pretty much every game is quite an extreme example of it I don't think Aubameyang is getting the credit he deserves mm. his goal scoring record since he joined Arsenal has been fantastic yeah Absolutely. especially on Sundays Apparently, it yeah. was Jason Burt, but um, <laughs> his goal score has been superb, and he doesn't get spoken about with, you know, right. the Salars and the people like that, and the Hazards and, and all these guys, and yet he's just as tal- he's becoming just as talismanic for Arsenal. They they rely on him an awful lot, and he delivers, and it gets kind. Of, he gets a bit of praise, but he he doesn't. I don't think quite get the credit he deserves, and. He's been a fantastic signing for them so yeah. far. He's exactly what was needed. I think it's because he's not as conspicuous as some of those other players. So a lot of what he's doing is making channel runs, kind of taking defenders away, opening space. His big skill is finding pockets of space in the box and getting tap-ins, which is one of the most valuable skills mm. you can have as a footballer. But it's a little bit like a sort of Pippo and Zaggy where... People you know, he, look down on it when they shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like that. It, it's maybe not as glamorous as getting the ball, cutting in and bending one in from... 15 yards but his goal yesterday was re- as soon as the ball goes out to Kalasinac you can see him just working out the exact angle that was he so to be smart. at he, so clever so clever and he just made the pass so much easier he doesn't get too close to him he's not too far he's just right to get that tap in you know what I thought was interesting you know when everyone was like oh Ozil is benched for this and, and then there was a lot of talk about how Arsenal are this more gritty side nowadays and they're more combative in their play and they can use their physicality I wonder whether that's by design that they end up being better in the second half because teams will start to tire and they can sort of put forward their pace, their attacking strength, their physicality and make that work for them. We have a side in in Inter, in Italy. They're just, I mean, they're disgusting when you watch them play most of the time. They're so boring, yeah. Um, although, having said that, they're much better now. But but somehow, it's always the last 15 minutes and you'll see the other side start to be like, oh, you know, we're so tired and they'll just bombard you, overwhelm you, get their goals and they're done. And I- it's almost fantastic at the end of it. You sort of start cheering for them. Mm. Ozil being benched is another reason to really appreciate what Unai Emery's <laughs> yeah. been doing. Those. No, Nothing it is. against Ozil, but his, his reasoning against it was sound. Um, 
And it's just the kind of thing that Wenger would never do. And it's why people got so annoyed and angry with Wenger. And when people say, well, are Arsenal actually that much better off at the moment with Emery than Wenger? Yes. Well, OK, the league position might not be that much different. And where they can get to may actually not be that much different. But the management of the team and the squad and keeping on top of things and being professional, really, is so much more impressive at the moment because mm. he's willing to make big decisions. He's willing to take on challenges. He's willing uh, to risk upsetting people. And Wenger just w- avoided all of that in his last few years. And it was so frustrating with him. So I'm so glad Emery is doing stuff like that. I completely agree. And I think a couple of things there. One, I think Ozil being dropped wasn't actually that big a deal for that reason. Because with most managers, they have a plan. And for this game, we've seen it so many times. Ozil does get swallowed up in these matches. It happened against Palace a couple of weeks ago. So I think it's completely fine to be like, yeah, for this particular game, we didn't need Ozil. That doesn't mean Ozil's not a good player. That doesn't mean he shouldn't come back in necessarily for the North London derby. It's that not every game suits him. He is mercurial and some situations suit him really well, some don't. And on that point of the kind of, you know, actually thinking through each game, Emery's attention to detail has been so refreshing. And even if he doesn't get everything right, which he won't, at least you think, well, there's a sound rationale. A lot of work has gone into these decisions. It's not just, yeah, we'll just do what we've done the last 18 times and hope maybe something yeah. changes. Yeah, he looks at the full picture. He looks at his full squad and thinks, who do I need to destroy this team? Well, like yeah. yesterday, Kolasinac is a prime example of that. Him as a left-back is a liability, and Wolves exploited that mercilessly. So Emery changed the whole system. That was fantastic. Because A, it means he's less exposed defensively. And actually, yes. he is an offensive weapon and he mm. got two assists. Yes, and he has defensive problems. So to do that, exactly. just masks so all his deficiencies. Exactly. I mean, football's about that. It's about masking your weaknesses. And he did that really well. Whereas, you know, what would have happened last year? It would have been Kolasinac, yep, still at left back, probably Ozil in front of him. And Bournemouth <laughs> just absolutely destroying him. Don't go back there, Charlie. You're looking visibly annoyed <laughs> remembering what it was like under Arsene Wenger. <laughs> I'm delighted to interrupt myself at this point to welcome back our old friend, mystery player. You hopefully will remember the idea. We've got a footballer to give us some clues about their identity, which will be revealed at the end of the podcast. And this time, my audio football club teammates will be playing along too. Here he is. Hello. In my career, I've played alongside John Hartson, Paolo Di Canio, Mark Schwarzer and Adam Lallana. My most prized piece of memorabilia from my career is a playoff final winner's medal. You have a think about who that could be and stick around until the end of the programme to find out. Shall we have a song for Europe with Mina Rizuki? Real Madrid lost 3-0 to Ibar, Mina. Are Ibar any good? (laughs) Or is it a case of Santiago Solari not being the saviour of the Bernabeu? Um... Well, they approved a budget, I think, in 2017 for the for the coming year of 45 million. So you can see there's a, which I think is less. I'll get than you what, about Alexander Mitrovic. It, it doesn't even get you Thibaut Courtois. <laughs> but uh, who is actually interesting? Came onto a lot of criticism, despite a great performance from him. Um, Abar is a side that hasn't played top level football since like they only started playing top level football since 2014. They are a very small side, not one that is supposed to be capable of all this. They've got a great coach in Mendelibar, and I think that he has um, intellect and he always likes to take the game to the opponent, whoever they are. He's not intimidated. But this is Real Madrid being Real Madrid. And I feel like there are times when you just need to see a problem for what it is. And this goes for Monaco too, you know, by replacing the likes of uh, Hadi and with uh, Thierry Henry. This he isn't won. the fault. He won. 
Thierry won this weekend. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. One out of like 15. <laughs> but, um, but it is actually quite nice for him. I'm sure he feels really happy with this. But it's a case of this, this side is exhausted. Uh, the side sold a player that uh, scored 50 goals for them. They've won three Champions League in a row. There's something to be said for players that can continue performing at the highest level and be motivated and interested every single season. Unless you regenerate the squad... Pep Guardiola, when he was at Barcelona, wanted new players every year just to keep the squad interesting. And if you don't have that, and you have players like Gareth Bale who are just not living up to that to the expectation, he kept banging on about wanting more, more responsibility. He wanted to be the leader. He wanted to be the guy. Well, now's your chance. Do something. He's doing nothing. Another terrible performance from him. You look at Marco Asensio, the kid who's supposed to be the most talented coming forward. And they asked him, you know, what, what, what are you doing? You know, how's it not working out for you? And he said, oh, well, I don't think the responsibility is mine. There are more veterans in this side and you should ask them. That's not how you would respond if you're a guy who wants to be the next leader of Real Madrid. That's not how Mbappe would respond if PSG asked him that exact question. So there's a lot of, there's a reason why Zinedine Zidane walked away from a side that had won three trophies in a row. And if he's walking out, then there's a lot more rotting in that club than just a case of let's just keep changing the guy at the helm and see what happens. On Ronaldo, 10 for the season already with Juve, obviously a big miss for Madrid. How are Juve using him, Mina? Is it is it in any way different to the sort of player he was at Real Madrid? Um, not really, to be honest. I feel like both sides have very much made him their leader and the guy that everyone looks for when they have the ball. I think that he's changed a little bit in the sense that he's the second top assist maker in the league, second top scorer. He's happy to sort of... He understands that certain, it takes a while to really understand how it is in the final third. But what Allegri's done is create a lot of movement. So while there are players like Ronaldo and Mandzukic who look like they would be reference points, they keep changing so much their positions. And it's all so fluid that it's actually really interesting to watch. And he's really enjoying that. He enjoys taking up positions. He enjoys releasing some of the forward players. He enjoys um, scoring the goals as well. And he started off being really selfish, to be honest. But it's it's sort of changed and he's much more of a team player. Sometimes he's dropping back in midfield. Sometimes he's even tackling someone. And I, 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 I love watching that for my team. Allegri is always praise the whole team ethic of the side it's never isn't there's never been a star player at Juventus it's always been the team that has won everything together and I think that he's just fallen into that and and really is the superstar that just needs half a chance has he been better than you expected no he hasn't been better than I expected but I have high expectations of him anyway (laughs) Um, but what I do like is that on a psychological level when all those players are around him everyone feels that they need to pick up their game because they don't want to disappoint him like they don't mind disappointing Allegri or Agnelli or whoever it is in Juventus but everyone's really scared that Ronaldo is going to give them that look of you should have done better with this you should have stayed behind after training for four hours (laughs) PSG 14 consecutive wins in uh, the thrilling league of uh, Ligue 1 in uh, France can they 100% the season, not just go unbeaten, but win every game? And what do Liverpool have to look out for in their Champions League match this week? Yeah, absolutely they can win this game. At least once upon a time you had Monaco who had a bunch of players that could really take on PSG. Or, you know, Lyon has an exciting squad, but not one that can really... If you can't challenge a side that has that many talented individuals and not enough tactical innovation to make it interesting, to be honest, as a league. They are very fun to watch. And I think what's interesting with Thomas Suchel is that while I loved Emery and, and I thought that he was badly dealt with when it came to, to the 
to the management of PSG. They just got rid of him. He didn't necessarily tweak things as well as he should have. So when he saw that his team is suffering in the Champions League or whatever, he didn't necessarily make the right adjustments to ensure superiority. Tuchel does that. He's quite good at changing the formation. He's quite good at introducing different talent, different players to make it interesting. What they should look out for is that. there's it's, They're very capable of playing different formations. And um, Neymar and uh, Mbappe were not available this weekend. One was suspended, other injured. They should both be available, but we don't know. Danny Alves is back. That's huge from an attacking point of view because this guy can really know how to whip in across. Um, whether or not defensively he's the best. Yeah, I mean, I watched him at UVA and I would cry all the time. So. <laughs> it's a game to play in your week around on Wednesday night, even further afield than mainland Europe. Copa Libertadores final second leg postponed twice this weekend uh, between River Plate and Boca Juniors. Do you think it's ever going to take place, Matt? Um, there seem to be definite doubts. I mean, it just from from the tear gas going in all the Boca players' eyes, um, people being attacked outside the ground for their tickets, kids having flares strapped to them before the game. It just sounds like utter lawlessness, and it seems hard to know how you would ever be able to get to a scenario where you could play the game uh, without any kind of chaos and and disorder breaking out unless you played it behind closed doors or move or, it I mean, or move it to wrong. another country um, but yeah it, it feels like it, it might never get played and it feels like this whole event may go down in legend as the supposed best ever derby that, that never happened it's, it's all very odd and actually very interesting it's not something I would normally keep up with but I, I have been uh, Keeping up with those hipsters on Twitter who've been uh, <laughs> tweeting relentless about it. They pleaded with them to sort of, you know, all the fans, you know, please let this be a respectful match. Let this be a match between two of our greater sides and just, you know, show off how good South American football can be. And instead, obviously, it descended into chaos last time around. I remember everyone, do you remember the, the pepper spray um, in the stadium at Boca players and now it's like um, or River Plate players rather and this time it's it's attacking the the bus I do think it will be played um, I just think that it's too important it, it it brings so much attention to the league that there's um, no way that they'll not do everything in their power but I don't know how they're going to manage to do it safely there's definitely going to be a documentary made about all of this isn't there it's going to yeah, be one of those cool the right. sort of <laughs> Copper yeah. 90. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, there's definitely going to be that. <laughs> a derby that did take place this weekend was back at home in yes. Birmingham. The second yes. City derby, Matt. We can't we can't let it pass without a mention. The weekend. Uh, a victory for Aston Villa. How delighted were you? Extremely delighted. Did everybody see Alan Hutton's goal? Yes. Mm. I've seen it, yeah. Tackle him. Someone tackle that man. No, he was too good for tackles. <laughs> it was not about not tackling him. He went around about five players and then slotted it into the corner of the net. It was absolutely incredible. I liked uh, Grealish, a gr- great goal from Grealish, diving header on the far post, but the commentator said that is the best moment of his life, which I thought was a bit presumptuous. Well, he, pre- <laughs> he pretty much confirmed that afterwards. Oh, and oh, I, I did enjoy him baiting the, the Birmingham fans with kind of doing the 4-2 with his hands as well. It's a nasty derby. I mean, it really is nasty. There's no friendly rivalries within it there's no stories of families being split by it because half of them support Blues and Villa Villa and Blues hate each other absolutely hate each other they'd love to just tear each other apart um, it's an incredible game to go to because of that it's quite a frightening game to go to often but yeah fantastic result for Villa they weren't they didn't actually play very well but no one cares on games like that um, shame they couldn't get past QPR though Matt yeah 
<laughs> so it's like your own version of the Super Classica. Oh, it's bigger than that. It's much bigger than that. <laughs> super, Super Classica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Finally, after Unai Emery revealed that Peaky Blinders is helping him to perfect his English, what other lessons do we think managers in the Premier League could learn from TV shows? I mean, no. just the, the just recency bias. The most recent thing I watched was Dynasties. Uh, the David Attenborough documentary. Not Dynasty, oh, the... Uh, I, that's what yeah, I thought, yeah, too. I, thought that as well. <laughs> I was like, the Ridge Kitchen. <laughs> yeah, this box that, set's that, crazy. It's got yeah. out of control. Got really into Dynasty. Yeah, that as well. So the importance of building Dynasty, right. seeing Pep Guardiola trying to do that in Manchester City. Ah, I see what you're doing. Oh. Yeah. Yes. I mean, sport's huge, isn't it? I reckon if Pep Guardiola's watching anything on TV, it's the Manchester City documentary. I think he's... <laughs> on a loop. There. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's like, oh, I've really, really given good tactics there. Do you know Matt, what I think he's watching? Oh, I, I think can't. He's, sorry, Go you on. know those con artists in New York that have like three cards and then they just move them really quickly and they're like, where's the queen? Follow the queen. <laughs> I feel like that's what he does with his whiteboard. <laughs> yeah, and, and they all look completely baffled. And they're like they're trying not to follow attention. the queen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like, okay, right, we're going to go left and the right and then you close this gap and then you don't close this gap. And... Seems to work. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> Matt or Mina, do you have an answer to this question? No, I can't think of one. I can okay. only think, I, for some reason, all I can keep thinking is that Pochettino loves House of Cards and I can't think of a way of turning that into any sort of answer. Oh, it's, it's a good fact. So, sorry Does about he? that. Does he love House of Cards? He loves House of Cards, even though House of Cards for a couple of seasons has been rubbish now. But he loves it and he loves um, Narcos. I think Mourinho must watch something that's uh, obviously very dark, like Criminal Minds. <laughs> yeah, Poch doesn't away. seem that house of... Co- I mean, he's not seen as that much of a Machiavellian kind of operator. Oh, I don't know. May- maybe yeah. he's just I think he covers is, it up actually. well. I think he is. I think Neil Warnock just ha- watches really happy things. <laughs> he, so he's got to watch Mrs Doubtfire because he just looks like Mrs Doubtfire. There you yeah. go. That'll do. That'll do. <laughs> Time now for the big reveal for Mystery Player, our first ever interactive here in the audio recording facility, Mystery Player. Do any of you think you've got the answer? Yep. Do you want to have a guess, Mina? Well, I think we guess the same thing, no? Yeah. Well, go, go ahead, Mina. You, you get the honour. Joe Cole? Joe Cole is not correct. Charlie, do you have any other uh, other guesses? He looks livid. Really yeah. disappointed <laughs> with himself here. I feel like there are spreadsheets there. Um, <laughs> Mark Noble? Mark Noble has been oh. lodged as your guess. It's not correct. Matt, can you solve the riddle? No. Oh, no. It is definitely some sort of ex-West Ham player. It's obviously. a footballer. Yeah. That's your clue. Um, and it's a man. He can't do it. He can't do it. We're going to have to We're gonna have to reveal the answer now. Oh, wait. Can I have another guess? Charlie Eccleshare. Paul Koncheski? It's not Paul Koncheski. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Yes, that's right. I'm Jason Ewell, former Wimbledon, Charlton, Southampton and Blackpool forward. And you've been listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club. There you go. Jason Ewell, very well done if you got it. That's your lot for this week's Audio Football Club. Contact me on Twitter if you would like to. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. If you've sworn off social media, you can also reach us via email. Why not let us know what you want us to talk about on next week's episode? It's afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. We will read out the best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe. Have a look for Telegraph Audio Football Club on the internet. And why not leave us a review on Apple Podcasts? Please, my children need stars. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company i'll talk to you again soon
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 